Hello, I'd like to welcome everybody to the CCWSA podcast. I'm your host, Rob High, here in Oklahoma City, and today we have uh, some members of our team that we want to introduce to you. Sean Vincent here on my right, your left, and our chief trial counsel, our national trial counsel, Don West, uh, on my left. Hey, Rob, good to be here. Good to have you guys. Um, part, of, part of our service is our critical response team. You guys have heard an awful lot about uh, what Gary does and I do. Um, but as we proceed on, uh, a lot of the things that you have questions about pertain to uh, the next course of action, the next step, where we're going in the legal process. And we've got the best two guys in the company to talk about that today. So, Sean, if you give us just a, a minute or two and, and kind of let our folks know what it is that you do for us. Sure. Well, I'm a litigation consultant, which means I stopped going to school after I got my English degree. <laughs> and I never imagined that I'd be involved in anything involving the legal industry until I crossed paths with Don. So you have both an English degree and a job? And a job, yeah. I've defied all expectations. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a unicorn in that regard. Yeah. Uh, but when I crossed paths with you on the Zimmerman case, that was, ironically, I was there in the capacity of helping handle the public perception of the criminal defense, <clears throat> manage the media and the social media aspects of it. But that was kind of an all hands on deck enterprise yeah. and you came on board and then Absolutely. I had the uh, amazing opportunity to see the insides of uh, a criminal defense, especially for a self-defense, which is unusual compared to almost all other criminal defense type cases. Mm -hmm. um, and then we got the trial. Uh, I got to be involved in helping qualify the jury and just being the eyes and ears outside the courtroom while the drama was unfolding inside. and. After that, I got a chance to be involved in uh, dozens of cases, a lot of self-defense cases, and I've been writing and researching and studying self-defense for 10 years now. It's quite a long time, actually. Um, you know, Gary and I, if we respond to your incident, uh, part of that is, is kind of walking you through the steps um, as far as, you know, we're, we're going to get you set up for a formal interview, we'll do these things and, and make sure any kind of peer support needs are met for you. Um, if it's at your home or something like that, we need a crime scene cleanup, we'll facilitate those kind of things. Um, but beyond that, it really moves into Sean and Don's realm. So Don, once, once this is established and whether it's a charge that is being presented by the investigations team to a district attorney, or if it's something that's going to go in front of a grand jury, depending on where you live and, and how they how they basically file cases. What are what are the steps now that mm -hmm. are that are coming out for them? Sure, and you know, each jurisdiction will have differences, mm -hmm. but it's pretty predictable what's going to happen. Right. You get to a point and then either this is going to happen or that's going to happen. Right. And depending on which it was, you'll go this way or that way. So I think it would be great today to talk about what is that process, the stages of a criminal prosecution. For sure. And uh, where do you get from arrest until there's a verdict mm -hmm. or, or beyond? So I think correct. that'd be great. I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, well, 
you know, as an, as an investigator, um, if I am the case agent, I'm assigned to this, um, I would conduct all my investigation and utilizing whatever other resources, whether it's crime scene investigators and, and the work that they do or the DNA lab or, or whatever other things that, that come into play for me. And I put everything together and then I go sit and discuss with uh, prosecutors in the district attorney's office. And a lot of people don't understand. They, they just think, well, the cops did this and the cops did that. I, I put all the, the case facts together and I present those to the prosecution and they're the ones that determine uh, what charges or if charges are gonna be filed. So uh, they may direct me to, to go ahead and prepare a probable cause affidavit um, with facts of the case and we move forward and, and uh, get an arrest warrant. Uh, sometimes we can arrange that with, with an attorney to have them mm -hmm. come in and, and walk you in and, and surrender and do things like that. But beyond that, uh, once an arrest has been made, even if it's just a deal where I have to do a walkthrough and they, they take my fingerprints and photographs and get all my things done like that, now we're moving into the legal system. Um, well, so what, and so the listeners have a good idea what you talk about. You, you talk about all that work that's gone into it yo, before yeah. uh, an arrest is made or charges are brought. That could be days, that could be weeks where yeah. from between when the incident happened and the defender is waiting to find out what are the police going to decide, what's the prosecutor going to decide, am I going to face charges and when I do, when are they going to come and what are they going to be, right Don? Yeah, exactly right. So let's start at the point of the incident. There's going to be a law enforcement response. Now we're talking about a serious self-defense scenario, lethal self-defense, shots fired, somebody's hurt. So it's the real thing. Right. We need boots on the ground right away. We need um, legal advice to the member right away. But that may not actually occur until, and isn't likely to occur before there's an initial police response. And at that time, there's going to be some questioning by the police, an attempt to begin the investigation, collecting evidence. There may be an arrest, and there may not be. Mm -hmm. Whatever time that takes between the incident and the arrest, whether it's a few hours, a few days, weeks, or months, and then the charging decision, um, from my perspective as a criminal defense lawyer, I call that the pre-charge Phase, Correct. Right? During that time, we can have lots of input with law enforcement or the prosecutor through counsel doing some investigation. In some jurisdictions, there's some limited ability to present evidence to the grand jury through the prosecutor, for example. So this pre-charge phase is really important, but there's no way to predict how long it might be. Right. Sometimes an individual that could be arrested, that the police feel they had probable cause, choose not to arrest because they're not afraid that he's gonna run off, right. and they don't wanna start the clock on the process. So they delay, they do you know, lab work, forensic uh, evidence examination, there could be blood stuff, ballistic stuff, lots of witnesses to interview, videotape to gather. Well, yep. you know exactly how thorough and big those investigations will be. But at some point in time, that package that you referred to will be referred to the prosecuting authority. Yes. They'll look at it, they may task more stuff, 
or they may decide, well, we can, we can make our decision now. Well, the decision could be in some places, I'll sign off on the information, an arrest warrant will be issued, and the person will be in the system. Or in other places, it has to go to a grand jury. Yep. Either way, it results in formal charges. And then that begins the process of the formal procedure. So once someone's arrested, they're going to be taken before a judge. There's going to be an issue addressed if they're eligible for bail, whether there can be bail set, what are the conditions, the terms. It can happen soon, or it can take several days or weeks to pull all of that information together in a serious case. But at some point, they'll be brought before a judge. The judge will decide, in a sense, probable cause. Release will be granted or not. And then you are quickly into the discovery phase. Right. Right? There's an arraignment, you plead not guilty, then there's going to be court dates set, and now you're in the discovery phase. That's the time from the formal charge until there's a resolution of the case, either by a trial or some sort of plea or dismissal. So that yeah. can be weeks or months or, or even longer. Well, that, and and that's, either in jail or not in jail, out on bond during yes. that time. And you know that makes a big difference to everyone, not just you, if you're the guy in jail. But I know as a lawyer, if my client is not in jail, I don't have to go there to visit. But more importantly, I can enlist their help in helping me understand things. He can help me identify witnesses. We can go to locations. It's so much more helpful to the case to have a client out of jail than one's in, separate and apart from what a pain it is, of course, yeah. and how how emotionally, I don't know how you would describe the experience of being in jail, not just the restriction in the custody, but the idea of waking up every day in that circumstance, not knowing what your fate's going to be. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Draining, draining. It is so taxing, and that's perfect, uh, because it's not just to the, the individual that's been arrested. It, it affects everybody. It affects your spouse, your children, your your loved ones, uh, your employment. Um, it, it's just so far-reaching. <clears throat> now, once we've had this uh, initial arraignment and we know these things are in place, uh, as we begin to move forward, kind of from your perspective, mm -hmm. um, your next steps in preparing uh, uh, a proper defense, move what direction now? Hopefully, from the very beginning, we've had investigators mm -hmm. involved that can help identify witnesses with the help of, of our client, Right. Uh, begin to digest the information that's known. But soon after the arraignment in most jurisdictions, the prosecution will be required to provide information, records, documents, reports, and that's what's typically characterized as discovery. Right. Certainly any statement that the accused has made, body cam, uh, formal statements, oral statements that somebody made notes of, physical evidence that's been examined. That's when all of the information, with few limitations actually, that you put together as yep. the investigator and sent to the prosecutor's office will then be filtered, sorted, um, some stuff may be withheld, mm -hmm. 
but for the most part then provided to the defense. So then the defense has a pretty good look at the prosecution case typically. Yeah. And they always send you all the information, whether it's good or bad for their case, right, Tom? That's right, and I know that you're kidding. <laughs> Not only kidding because while that might be an ideal, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen very often because there's so much information, there's so much information together, even prosecutors with the best intent can miss things. So you may have to request things that you think are there that they didn't give you, and we've certainly done lots of that in our careers. And then there are people that may not quite be as ethical as the rules require and either limit information that clearly should have been provided or make it difficult to get or to identify, um, you know, hiding the ball, essentially. Jurisdictions vary. Some jurisdictions are very open and you pretty much get everything. Other jurisdictions are a little tighter and the prosecutor has more ability to withhold stuff. But everyone, every jurisdiction, every prosecutor is required to disclose exculpatory information. That's yes. what you were saying, mm -hmm. right? Yes. The Brady yeah. information. If it's exculpatory, then it has to be disclosed. Just like any statement made by the accused has to be disclosed. And um, sometimes there's problems. Yes. And, and as a defense attorney, there's no one else who's going to police that. So as a defense, the defense team has to be the ones that hold the other side accountable to make sure that they're getting all the information that they you know, feel they're entitled to. It's interesting because often when you look at these historic, historical cases where someone's been in prison 10 or 15 or 30 years and there's really been a deep dive into the record, the reason that people can be subject to a false conviction is because exculpatory information has been withheld. And in those situations where maybe it's revealed later or discovered somehow, uh, prosecutors have gone to jail. For it. It's mm -hmm. rare, uh, maybe should happen a little more often, at least the search should be more rigorous. But when somebody hides exculpatory evidence and it prejudices someone and they're convicted, it's, it's outrageous and uh, criminal. You would ask, Rob, what direction does the defense go in at this point? And it's almost a better question to say, at what speed does it go at this point? Because that mm -hmm. discovery yeah. process takes a long time. Yeah, it, it does. Mm -hmm. and, and Don had touched on it earlier because that can go for years. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we learned as investigators is, is we over-collect. Um, if, it's, if it's in my scene, I'm probably doing something to process it. You know, even, even something as minute as a cigarette butt um, because it's, it's a, a simple source to retrieve DNA from. Um, but Don keeps hitting exculpatory evidence. Um, it's just anything for my case that really isn't strong for my case and actually could be good for the defense. Um, those are things that I've never had an issue with pushing everything I have out. Um, but I've, I've been in jurisdictions where I've seen things go horribly wrong. Um, you know, our, our critical response team member, Gary, um, was an amazing homicide investigator. And as he was the, the chief investigator for the district attorney's office for more than a decade, um, we had a really significant homicide that occurred in a small town in the metro. Um, and 
they had two different men in jail for that homicide on two different sets of facts. And you, you can't hold these guys right there. I mean, Gary saved these men's lives, actually, um, because he, he discovers this. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, it, the, the death was either caused by this or it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And you've got completely different sets of facts for two different men. It's like, mm -hmm. what, what are we flipping a coin to see which well, one gets, gets caught? And, and we can point out that exculpatory, we talk about exculpatory, doesn't, it's not limited to clear evidence that proves innocence. Sure. It can be evidence that puts some aspect of the case in question, question. or yeah. challenges other evidence. Um, for example, if a witness for the prosecution has been made a deal yeah. uh, in exchange for their testimony, charges dropped, a limited sentence, something like that, there's an affirmative obligation for that information to be provided. Or if a witness is a known liar, if there's history that the prosecution is aware of of them lying in a prior proceeding, then all of that stuff should be produced because it would affect that witness's credibility. Yep. And if it reasonably affects their, their credibility, that's considered exculpatory. Yes. Just like any physical evidence that's sort of held or, or something that's more clear that's exculpatory. Yeah. During this time, about every two, three months, there's going to be a status hearing where maybe the defender comes to be before the court or sometimes just the lawyers show up to talk about issues related to discovery, scheduling of things, and then some eventually some sort of calendar with a aspirational trial date gets put up there, right? Yeah, the, the process can take weeks or months or longer. Uh, some jurisdictions with more open discovery actually can take longer. Yeah. On the other hand, if there's less open discovery, the investigation that you have to do may take longer. But in any event, it's going to be weeks or months or more. Uh, to give you an example of what could take a lot of time, that seems to be something simple that could easily be resolved. In the case we were working on, the photographs taken at the scene were provided to us in black and white photocopies. Mm -hmm. We couldn't get the real picture. It took weeks and demands, written letters. We then got a color photocopy, and we still couldn't get the actual digital image. And when we did get the digital image, imagine that compared to the black and white photocopy when you're looking at blood running down someone's face. The power of that, the impact, the evidentiary significance of that was overwhelming. Right. If we'd had that information weeks or months before, it may have changed the entire direction of the case. So um, sometimes every day is another fight. On the other hand, I've worked with terrific prosecutors. They do their job. They work hard. They prosecute hard, but they play by the rules too. Right. And I love those cases. I want the judge to know what he or she is doing. I want the prosecutor to know what he or she is doing. And I want a hard-fought case within the guidelines. Well, and a, and a completely investigated case. I mean, mm -hmm. you want everything to have been done. Um, you know, I, I, I learned several harsh lessons uh, actually on the stand when I'd get up there and I'd have a defense attorney say, you know, these things are important, right? Yes, they are. Mm -hmm. Did you do this? Uh, no. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we just, we grew as investigators uh, under questioning. Um, 
So it's, it's kind of what I was saying about overproducing and, and giving a whole lot more. Um, I always gave that to the prosecution. Um, and I worked for uh, a county where uh, I felt really comfortable that they were going to be up front and produce it's the way it's supposed under, to work like, it, like the it, law says and there's a much better <clears throat> chance the whole process will be fair yes if people simply do their jobs professionally yes. and ethically even if everybody does that that doesn't make it easy yep. it doesn't mean it's not going to be a hard case Absolutely. or it's not going to be a real emotional challenge for the accused uh, for the uh, victims the shooting victims family all of that still plays a part but mm -hmm. at least you're you're moving from A to B in the proper ethical professional way that the system is designed to produce whatever we now call justice. Yes. And, and for color, let's say for example, you're not in jail, you're out on bond during this time. You've probably lost your job. You may have an ankle monitor. You may not be able to leave your house during certain times. You certainly probably won't be able to leave the county. Your life is put into a box while you're working through these issues. For all these you know, and, and that's likely to be the case no matter what serious crime you're charged with. But frankly, in my experience uh, in self-defense cases, it, it's almost like it's worse because more than any other case that I've handled, a self-defense case are, is often a good guy who gets upside down in something that's viciously attacked, has to defend himself or herself, but the way it sorts out winds up getting prosecuted. And that takes a person out of their regular life, you know, their family, their job, their networks, and uh, turns their life upside down. You know, that, that's not quite so bad if it's your fourth time in prison and you just got out a week before and you get arrested <laughs> again. You know? But the self-defense cases are so tough because they're so human in many ways. These yeah. are everyday folks who um, attempted to ask, act responsibly and did, but and nonetheless now treated like a criminal. Yeah. yeah. Well, in they've, in every they've, way. they've mm -hmm. lived their whole lives uh, rightly. They, they've always been on the right side of the law. They've always done mm. uh, what, what they believe to be right, and, and they've found themselves in this horrible situation that they have to defend well, themselves. Yeah, they've, they've actually, these are a lot of people who <clears throat> uh, like and support law enforcement. Yes. And now, are almost shocked to find themselves on the other side of it. It's a real head twister. Well, there, there are things that, that I've seen on the law enforcement side. I know when we went and we, and we finally started holding officers back from going downtown and making formal statements. And we gave them the a minim, a minimum of, of mm -hmm. two sleep cycles. Mm -hmm. um, that's such a big deal um, because a trauma memory is so jumbled. Um, sequence of events are out of order. You'll, you'll have a, an absolute loss of memory on some things sometimes. It just depends on, on your preparation and your training and the way you've, you've handled things over time. There's so many things that factor into that. And to, to be involved and, and suddenly be upended where you thought, yes, I did right. You know, as an officer, I, if, if something would have happened like this that I had to defend myself, I want to tell my side right now. Yes. I, I want to get it off my you chest. Can't wait. Go, you can't wait. Yeah, that's, this is mm -hmm. urgent. You need to mm -hmm. know why I had to do this. Mm -hmm. um, 
And we've learned because of those trauma memories that that is not the best case scenario. Um, well, I can tell you as a criminal defense lawyer who's tried a, a number of self-defense cases, the single biggest obstacle for me is trying to um, explain a statement that yes. my client made at the scene or thereabouts that turns out to be wrong in some way. Yes. Unintentionally wrong, but just factually inaccurate that now gives those that want to be cynical and, and assume not that he was wrong and mistaken, but that he was lying. You know, yeah. you tell one lie, you tell two, you tell two, then all of a sudden everything you say is, is a lie and it's, then you're it's off It's absolutely under question for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting, Rob, uh, that no matter how you get into the system, whether you're guilty of something, maybe not what you're accused of, yeah. or you're not guilty of anything at all, you are no longer in charge. You are no yeah. longer in control of your life. You are now in the system and you don't get out until they let you out. Correct. And the way you get out is to finish the case. And there's a very clear progression in a criminal case. We're, we're past the arraignment, we're into the discovery phase we're yeah. talking about. There will be a point in time though where the judge says enough postponements, enough continuances, it's time to get this case resolved. Right. Well, there's only three ways to do that actually. Dismissing the charges, and that's pretty rare if you're that far along, unless the judge suppresses evidence that results in the prosecution having to, to drop the case or enough evidence is investigated and revealed that changes somebody's mind. And that doesn't happen very often because some of these self-defense prosecutions are sort of, a, there's a political overtone too, and it's in for a penny, in for a pound. So there's a pretty good chance that when you get to the point where you have to resolve the case, it's either going to be by a plea or by a trial. A plea is within the full discretion of the prosecutor. Mm -hmm. They say, here's what the plea offer is. You may have some limited ability to conference with the judge, but for the most part, the prosecutor has all the cards on that, and I've had cases where there were no plea offers. And Don, if we're talking about a self-defense case where there was a fatality, the options are essentially first-degree murder, second-degree murder, or manslaughter, or some version of that, depending on how the laws are written in that Place. Yeah, using Florida as an example, first-degree murder is mandatory life in prison if there's no death penalty. Second-degree murder is likely to be life in prison if a firearm was used. It may be mandatory. Mm -hmm. And manslaughter with a firearm, uh, because a firearm was involved, doubles the potential maximum from 15 to 30 years. So even with a manslaughter, if a firearm was involved, you're looking at a potential 30-year sentence yeah. on a reduced plea. Right, so, so when you're looking at, when you're talking about the plea process at this point, there's not a lot to go down from, from looking at 30 not, years. Not much room unless the prosecutor is just trying to do anything to get out from under what they believe is a bad case, yeah. reduces it so far that there's probation or yeah. a misdemeanor or something that is really shouldn't be contemplated usually. But, but in the self-defense case, what's tricky at this point is you are convinced you're justified. Yes. And now you're going to be thinking, yeah, we'll, we'll pick up. I want to talk a little about the justification. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break now. If you'll come back and join us, we'll, uh, we'll pick up here with the police stuff. 
Welcome back to the CCW Safe podcast. Uh, talking with Sean Vincent today and Don West, and uh, taking you through the proceedings uh, in a criminal proceeding leading up to a jury trial. So, we were discussing as we went to break um, plea arrangements and and offers from the prosecution to step away from the case with. Uh, a lesser charge or a lesser sentence? Yeah, first of all, um, everyone should know that in virtually every criminal case, there will be and should be some plea discussions. There's no reason not to have some conversations to see if the case can be resolved favorably. Right. Not always can it, of course, but there should be some attempts. So in, in never um, criticize your lawyer for making the effort. That's part of their job, yes. is to see if there's some way to resolve this case short of trial, and why? Because, especially in a self-defense case, a trial is going to result in guilty or not guilty, and it's all or nothing. Yes. So there's really very rarely middle ground unless you were to get convicted of a lesser charge, which still means a conviction, and still means a likely prison sentence. So if there's a way to avoid that with some meaningful and serious plea discussions do. But assuming that doesn't happen successfully, then you've got the choice. You either plead guilty as charged, because you have the right to do that, but why would you if there's no benefit to you? Certainly. Especially if you're not guilty. I mean, yeah. some people get so scared that they want to plead almost to anything just to get out from under this weight. They'd almost rather know something's going to happen to them if it's bad I've, than, I've, I've seen you know cops, what I'm talking about? Yeah, I've seen cops do this. I've seen prosecutors do this, really pressing somebody that if you don't do this, this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Like, like the, the, the trial is a foregone conclusion. Um, using it as leverage. And using it as leverage. I'm, I'm sure. squeezing them, um, which is... I bet Sean's been in actual cases where the person wanted to just get it over with. Um, it's almost like willing to take a bad deal before they were willing to face the next step. Yeah. You know, well, and that's a good, we're all part of CCW Safe. We all believe in this organization. How you're taken care of as a defendant during that process makes a huge difference. If you have people on your side and you have the resources, to make the best defense possible, that period, although still agonizing, waiting mm -hmm. to go to a trial, is so much better when you know you've got people who have your back and are guiding you through it and who are making good choices with you based on what you feel. But to your point, you, you <clears throat> I've seen offers come in right before trial that, all right, hey, today and today only, mm -hmm. take 10 years for some other charge and this whole thing's done, and now you're thinking, okay, I've, maybe I've already had some time in jail, I'm dealing with this ankle monitor, I've already lost my job, I've already gotten divorced, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 10 years, I can imagine, potentially the rest of my life, I can't, and that's when innocent people yes. make very difficult choices, uh, especially if they're not confident in their case or in their representation. Well, Rob knows firsthand, no doubt, as an as a, uh, investigator, among his peers, the, the notion of a false confession is real. Oh, there yes. are some people that are just so overwhelmed with their situation that eventually they'll admit to something they didn't do just so the question is Just to resolve stops. it. Yes. yes. 
Uh, back to the trial setting, though, imagine the difference between someone who's faced with a bad plea or going to trial, and they ran out of money, they don't have the expert witnesses that they know they need to use a force expert or somebody to challenge some of the uh, forensic evidence. They've had little or no contact along the way with their lawyer. They don't have an investigator doing the work for their uh, team compared with someone that has peer support, someone that has psychological counseling available, somebody that has all the resources necessary to hire all of the experts in the disciplines that can be helpful in the case, plus seasoned, experienced criminal defense lawyers. They're, they're in completely different positions. And, of course, the likelihood of a different result is also very, very real. You know where the, the <clears throat> option for pleas start to happen? You've been going for months. We talked about evidence and, and what's disclosed and what's not disclosed, mm -hmm. what you find, what the state brings there. But as you start getting closer to trial, you're going to start having arguments about what evidence actually could be shown to a jury. Mm -hmm. And if a certain piece of evidence gets excluded, well, all of a sudden that might make a plea real possible to something mm -hmm. way less than the worst that you could have imagined. Some prosecution evidence gets right. excluded. But then if something yes. that you want gets excluded, all of a sudden that could make... Uh, not guilty, a much bigger long shot. So a lot of really important work gets done in these evidentiary yes. hearings leading up to... Example, um, drug uh, use by the uh, attacker, prior criminal record by the attacker, uh, evidence that would suggest that he initiated the confrontation. All of that stuff is fair game unless the judge says no. Now, what happens if the judge says no? Well, the judge says no, you're stuck. You may incorporate that into an appeal down the road, saying the judge made these mistakes and my trial was unfair, but nobody appeals a not guilty verdict, right? Yeah, you don't yeah. appeal how your trial was unfair or you're under-resourced or even that your lawyers weren't qualified unless you get convicted. So now you're not waking up with a ankle monitor, you're waking up in a cell, serving a sentence, waiting for the appeal. Yeah. So, Let's go back to the trial decisions. Well, if you can't resolve the case, you go to trial. If you go to trial, then the evidence is presented by the prosecutor. You have an opportunity to offer evidence. And in a self-defense case, there has to be evidence in the record supporting self-defense. Once that happens, then the prosecutor has to disprove the claim of self-defense. That may be hard, it may not. And a lot of that has to do with, I think, how effective and creative and well-resourced your lawyers are and how experienced they are at actually putting on that kind of evidence in a, uh, in a criminal court. So that's where I think having the right lawyer makes a big difference uh, in a self-defense case. I've talked to lots of criminal defense lawyers, lots of lawyers that have tried self-defense cases. We all agree they're different. Somehow they're just different than mm -hmm. other kinds of criminal cases. Well, there's so many of those that my goal is, is to have somebody represent me and, and somehow get it across to the jury that it, they're, they're wrong, it wasn't me. That self-defense case, we're, we've taken that completely out so of So what play. have you taken off the table, yeah, right? Completely well, it was you, because you yeah. said it was. Yes. It was you that fired the gun. It was the fact that you fired the gun that resulted in the death of that person. Yes. And the only thing pretty much that's left is why. Yeah. Were you justified or weren't you? And even if you think you're justified, 
the jury also has to think that what you did was reasonable. So the focus goes from the incident that you've basically acknowledged 90% of to what you were thinking, what were the influences, what, were the, what was the totality of the circumstances that led you to, to do that. And Sean knows as a, as a social media investigator and jury consultant that what happened at that point extends far into the past and into the future after the incident itself. And I know you do that kind of work helping, um, helping us prepare cases. Mm -hmm. For sure. And what you post online can and will come back to bite you <laughs> if it's the wrong kind of stuff. Yeah. We talked a lot about the Gerald Strebing case. He was a, a Marine veteran sniper who had put on social media that he had a real problem with people who drove slow. And he actually said, "One, you know, if you drive slow, then like some, I'm a viper and I'll get you. Or, and he brake checked somebody who had been driving slow. They rear-ended him. They were drunk and now belligerent and issuing verbal threats that they wanted to kill him. Mm -hmm. And it ended in him firing one round from his rifle. And he was on 911 when it happened. Mm -hmm. The guy had actually gotten far enough to put his hands on the rifle. He, he told him to stay back. Several times, everything's stacking up in his favor, but he's got this reputation as a hothead who'd gotten into trouble before, who very clearly had a problem with people driving slow, and all in that context made a very difficult legal defense for him. So if the jury doesn't know any of that, he's got a really good self-defense claim, even though he brake-checked the guy, even though he may have initiated some of the, yeah. that stuff. Without the jury knowing about the social media and maybe his reputation, He's got a triable case and a winnable case, but what happened? What happened is that they had a evidentiary hearing on those, what the attorney called a parade of horribles, all his mm -hmm. bad acts. There's more yeah. than what we've just said here. And the judge in the case just deferred ruling on that. Meanwhile, the guy's in jail and he doesn't know when he's going to get to a trial. It could be 18 months, it could be mm -hmm. longer. <laughs> And so finally, because of the touch DNA on the rifle, the prosecutor brought down to a charge that would, if he pled to it, would leave him in jail for an extra 15, 16 months. That's a hard, that's a hard decision. Versus he could be in jail that long just waiting for trial yes. and then still go to jail for the rest of his life. So it's... So that's an example of a plea agreement that even though it resulted in a prison sentence, made sense in the context the risk reward, the notion of you say, no, no way, I'm going to trial. You could be, what's the word, or the cutting off your nose despite your face. Mm -hmm. Certainly. You could make it far worse. So um, scary, scary stuff. I, um, what happens though, as we're talking about now a little bit more of the sequence of the criminal procedure, you're, you can't resolve the case. Um, the judge has made his or her rulings on what evidence is admissible, what isn't, and it is what it is at that point. So then you have the trial. You pick a jury, both lawyers participate in that. Opening statements are made first by the prosecutor and then by um, the defense, and then the prosecutor puts on the case, their evidence. At the end of their evidence, uh, you have a chance to ask the judge to dismiss the charges, saying there wasn't enough evidence to support the charge, even if the prosecutor got the benefit of the doubt on the evidence. That's rarely, rarely granted, especially right. in, a, in a homicide kind of case. And then the defense has the chance to put on evidence. 
their experts if they want to rebut testimony from the prosecution case, maybe a medical examiner, to offer a use of force expert, which is common in self-defense cases, or anything else that may have arisen in the evidence of the prosecution case that you want to challenge, or even additional areas that you want to, to supplement. And then there is the million-dollar question for the accused and uh, his or her lawyer. I say a million dollars because sometimes it feels like it's worth a million if you get it right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, does the defendant testify? So at that point, when the defendant has to make the decision whether or not to testify, um, all, of the all of the focus of the case will go from whatever this stuff has happened around them to right there. The jury will be looking at that person and deciding, do they like him? Do they believe him? Did, is what he said reasonable? Basically, would they have done the same thing? Right. And uh, it's an enormous decision. It's a decision that is exclusive to the defendant. The lawyer can offer guidance, but the lawyer cannot make that decision. Correct. In fact, some very interesting moments in court sometimes it, it, when the judge looks past the counsel to the defendant and say, is this your decision? Yes. Stop yeah. The make. yeah, a lot of judges will stop the proceedings at that point and say, are you going to testify or not? And is it your decision? Because they don't want down the road um, in some appellate review, yes. the accused to claim yeah. that they were forced not to testify or they were forced to testify. It's a good strategy for the defense to keep the prosecuting guessing about whether they're going to have a chance to cross-examine the defendant. Yes. So, but keep in mind, um, you could get to that point of the trial in a murder trial and there not be evidence in support of self-defense. All of the prosecution witnesses aren't required. And if you can't get it out in cross-examination, it's not in the record. You have other witnesses that can testify, but there may not have been anybody there that can actually put on the record evidence of self-defense. So it so may come down to, to the accused, the defendant, takes the stand to put in the record, yes, I was in fear of my life, and I had to respond uh, yeah. through fear of losing my own life. Let's talk about a couple of these other elements of trial. I'll go back to your, the first thing you're going to do is, after you've gotten all your evidentiary stuff, your motions in limine mm -hmm. about what evidence can come in, what testimony can come in. Now we pick a jury, and I've heard over and over again that you know, I'd rather be judged by 12 than carried by six. But which 12, right? Yes. And we don't pick juries. <laughs> what I want you to imagine is I want you to go to the DMV, right? I want you to take 40 of those people, bring them into an, uh, uh, an assembly area, mm -hmm. and then they're going to be randomly assigned numbers, 1 through 40, and we're going to start with 1. Do you want that person on your jury or not? And the only thing you can do is say yes or no, or you can fight for a hardship or a cause strike. But in essence depending on where you're at, each side is going to get somewhere between three and six, sometimes more preemptory strikes, say, I want this person off, what, what, and you're left what, with what's left. T tell our viewers how you, how you improve your chances of picking a juror that's going yeah. to be fair, if not, I mean, I, I'm candid enough to say, I want a juror that's favorable to me. Yes. Fair for sure, but certainly if I get one that I think aligns their views with the case uh, defense. I, I want that person. How well, do you increase and, the and odds? So, and so one of the things that I do professionally is I lead a whole team and we go and vet these jurors online. Whatever information is publicly available that we can access during the time constraints mm -hmm. of this jury selection process, 
We'll find it, we'll compile anything we think is relevant into a one-page report on this drawer so that the trial attorneys can make decisions on this. And sometimes, I'll give you a practical example in a case that we can talk about, Stephen Maddox, who was a CCW Safe member, yes. who's given us permission mm-hmm. to talk about his case as he wants people to learn from what his ordeal was. Uh, we found uh, a juror who was a member of a similar type group, supported self-defense, supported gun rights, believed in self-defense. Uh, you don't ask that guy how he feels about guns and self-defense because you don't You don't ask him in front of the other jurors or the prosecutor. You don't want them to know. So we mm-hmm. just say, that's our guy. Mm-hmm. We already know he's our guy. We don't need to have any more debate about this. And if we can just keep it quiet... And I believe that guy ended up being the foreman of that jury, and we got a good Not, result. Nothing illegal or unethical. It, the whole process is information gathering. Yes. There's a lot of gut feeling and intuition involved. But at the end of the day, you're looking for someone yeah. that can relate to the, the, the defendant or the issues in the case. Of right. Course. But but mm-hmm. you, you if you're not careful, well, what I guess what I'm saying is. Sometimes you get stuck with the uh, the crazy cat lady who still has an Elizabeth Warren sign in her front yard, and she's going to stand in judgment of you too. You get who they who comes to the court that it's a, day. It's a real crapshoot, and you it? eliminate who you really yeah. don't want, but you're left with what you've got, and you got to make the best case you can. You don't know who's going to show up because you don't know who's been summoned. You don't know of the bigger group which ones are going to be assigned to your panel. Right, and sometimes yeah. you don't even know if you'll be able to reach the jurors in the panel that you really like. Because they're too far back, right? That because of challenges or other issues. here, and they ha- they sleep through half the testimony, or they're just not paying attention, or they're worried yeah. about their kids, or whatever. You don't you don't know a lot of these things. It's, a, know, real, I, it's a it's a pretty big gamble. Yeah, I used to think that as an egotistical young lawyer that I could save the day with a compelling and captivating final argument. You know, just yeah. give me the put me in, coach. You know, yeah. at, at the end, um, man, I am humbled from that now. I really believe now, although you need to be effective at every step, and certainly being effective in closing is critically important, but in my view now, looking back uh, on some of these cases, jury selection to me, first and foremost, is how you have to start the case to get people on the jury that will at least listen, will understand, and be willing to apply the law to your facts. And uh, You can't win a case in jury selection if the lawyer's not good if the case isn't solid mm-hmm. but you can definitely lose it that's yeah. a great if observation that, right? yeah. 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 critically important and we do that as CCWC we provide our members with the resources necessary to go that extra step for whether it's juror vetting and uh, witness vetting and, it, and it is and it's and it's such a big deal I mean there's so many moving parts that have to be addressed and it's why our, our big thing is that unlimited defense fund. It we're 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 not we're not withholding uh, Sean because uh, that's gonna that's gonna cost a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives us the best chance to give you a proper defense. Um, whereas you know we we've got competitors that we we come here and we were talking about the plea deal a little earlier that all of a sudden. You've taken a plea deal because of that, even if it's just that fear. I, I stand right here and I know what I did was right, but man, this is this is a safer bet than the gamble of yes. what I could lose. And sometimes so, you can even plead 
and claim you're still innocent. Yes. And still plead to get the case over with. An Alfred plea, yes. Interest, Absolutely. Right? So what happens with some of the other competitors at that point? Well, I, I know. Hands yeah. up, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> num number one is, is now I have to pay back all the fees that yeah. they've invested in my defense because now I'm guilty. Um, there's, there's some of them that if I go, what, well, I want to appeal this. This is not right. And I, I can't appeal this if, if it's a plea deal. Um, but if, if it goes to trial and I say, you know, that it's still not right. I disagree. I'm innocent. Let, let's appeal this thing. Mm -hmm. We have competitors that say, well, well, we'll take that appeal on, but you have to pay back for that initial loss. Um, let, me, and, let me talk we, about that for a minute. Because that is near and dear to my yes. heart. Because sometimes I'll talk to a colleague or someone that crosses paths with, and I'll say, that's a member of an organization right. other than ours, and I'll say, well, um, do your benefits include an appeal? Yes. Do they include a retrial after a successful appeal? Do they include a retrial if the judge grants a mistrial Mr. during yeah. the case? And a lot of times they say, good question, I don't know. Well, you gotta take a look. Because yeah. if anything, CCW Safe is transparent in that. And yes, if you go to trial and lose, CCW Safe will pay for the lawyers and the expense of the appeal. Yep. If you are successful on appeal, CCW Safe will pay for the cost of the retrial, which means starting over. It's yes. not like you pick it up where you left off. You yes. start over again, new jury. Um, it could take weeks or months. If something happens during the trial, if a witness says something they were not allowed to, mentions evidence that was excluded, if the prosecutor is guilty of misconduct and the court grants a mistrial, CCW Safe pays for the new trial. And what happens the most, I think, in cases uh, is that at the end of a hard-fought case, a hard case, the jury can't be unanimous for some reason. Right. I don't know why it is, maybe a bad juror got on there or maybe the evidence was that close, but they can't reach a unanimous verdict. And when that happens, after some period of time and some cajoling by, then, by the, pros or the, the judge, judge yeah. Yeah, um, the judge will grant a mistrial. Right. And that means it all starts over. And that is more common than I thought it would be too. Yes. You know, it, it's whether you're going back for a second trial for appeal, but I think self-defense cases, because they're so hinging on what was the person's, what was in their heart when they made the decision to pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. If there's one person who really believes they did the right thing and someone who really believes they murdered somebody, that's how you get a hung jury. Yes. And, and this is the kind of case that's built for hung jury. You know, and that's what impressed me so much about CCW <clears throat> Safe when I met these guys. So transparent and there was no question, yes, we pay for the, in addition to all yeah. of the expense to get to trial and to uh, finish the trial, if things go badly, it might not be your fault. You might still be innocent after all of that, yes. but somebody else caused the problem. There may have been juror misconduct yes. or who knows. And you do need to appeal, then CCW Safe provides the funding for that. Yeah. And at the end of the appeal, typically the judges on the appellate panel don't dismiss the case. What they do is decide, yes, your trial was unfair right. because of this witness issue, this juror misconduct. The judge may have made an error in the jury instructions. And they say, yes, your trial was unfair. We reverse your conviction and remand it, not for a dismissal, for a new trial. Right. So you start all over again. And uh, 
to me as a defense lawyer who's looking for the ability to try my best case. Uh, CCWC, in my mind, covers all the bases. I'm, I'm really impressed with that. And I, I said that to myself before I ever connected with these guys, just yeah. kind of looking around. And, and I'm so, so privileged, I think, to have joined this team. It, it is so solid. Um, and the decades and decades of experience that are built in, um, guys that, that are able to, to come in and not base it on the, oh my gosh, this is gonna cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, and and it, it's paid so many dividends for us. You know, we've, we've grown leaps and bounds um, as, as people have found out and understand what to look for and what are the coverages that are really absolutely necessary. Um, it, it's just, I knew. And, and don't forget the stuff that you do, Rob, and the, what Gary does certainly. and Justin and others is create an informational base that helps people that are interested in continuing with their training, first and foremost, how to avoid being in the problem to start with. How well, many shootings that don't happen because yes. of somebody wanting to get better. And we've, we've had members mm -hmm. call in and go, I probably would have had I not heard this podcast or had mm -hmm. I not read this article, had I not had this information made mm -hmm. available to me, I would have made a poor decision. Um, how, how gratifying is that? Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, and that might be the most important lesson to take away from this whole conversation today. We've just outlined a nightmare process. Yeah. Even, you don't win a criminal prosecution as a defendant, you survive, survive. it, yeah. right? Well said. And, and it, you don't survive it without bruises. It's a tough process and you're gonna have to mm -hmm. pick up and rebuild your life even if you're acquitted. And from being involved in so many self-defense cases, some of them with you, Don, and for CCBC for researching mm -hmm. so many cases that have been high profile at public, you see good people make very similar mistakes over and over again. Yeah. And how many of even the cases that are not, not guilty verdicts, where the defender is found to be justified, you can still find opportunities they had to avoid the yes. shooting. And, and if we can save someone a prosecution, even mm -hmm. if it results in an acquittal, mm. and save somebody's life also, by the way, that's the important work. That's the win. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the, win. That's the mm -hmm. big, big reason that we, we press and we talk about uh, disengagement, de-escalation, you know, removing yourself completely from the, pro the problem or never putting yourself in that problem. I don't have to pull in front of the guy and brake check him. Um, I don't know, have to get out of the car. I don't have to get out of the car. Yeah, we had, mm -hmm. we've, we've had cases that, that we've studied where you've had both enraged drivers pull over to the side of the road and the one in the lead car is, is the one that's saying the guy behind him is, is the, the troublemaker and then the guy in the lead car gets out with a gun. Mm -hmm. that's, that's an issue. That's something that's mm -hmm. gonna be really difficult for you to overcome, so. Um, it, it's just something that we feel is, is really critical is to get out uh, information, bits and pieces for you guys um, so that you can, you can better equip yourself to handle these situations as they come up in your day-to-day -day life. Um, Don, do you have any quick takeaways for us? 
You know, I think you said it all right there that um, if you can avoid it, avoid it. Yeah. If you can't, act decisively, definitively, act within the boundaries of the law yeah. and, uh, and get some help. Thanks. And we're there. We've got your back. Sean? I just want people to know that if they're with CCW Safe, what they've got is confidence. Yeah. They've got a good team behind them, and they can have confidence that the best case that can be made is to be made for them. I hope this was valuable information for you guys. Uh, we appreciate everybody for tuning in, and we can't, can't wait to see you again next week. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Thanks. Ron.